You're listening to episode 62 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. And today I'm joined by Ryan Pintado Vertner, the founder and principal at Smoketown. Ryan and his team help mission driven businesses maximize their ROI against marketing, sales, and social and environmental impact. And that's exactly what we are talking about in conversation today. Keep on listening to hear us discuss where most food and beverage brands waste their money when it comes to marketing, what you should be doing instead, and what marketing tactics you should be using right now. Let's do this. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. I'm going to tell you a secret from my time as a grocery buyer. Buyers will only bring in your product line if they trust that you are going to bring high sales to your category. They don't care whether your product is the most delicious ever or made with local ingredients. They care about whether or not it's going to sell. How can you prove this to those buyers? With data. And that is why I love WeStock, and I wish it had been around when I was in my buyer role. WeStock has modernized the classic product request form, and it collects your fans and followers' enthusiasm into real data that you can use in your wholesale pitch. Buyers rely on numbers, and you can give them just that by collecting it with WeStock. Check them out at WeStock.io or find them in my show notes and use promo code FOODBIZWIZ for 25% off your first year. Hey, Ryan. Great to have you on the show today. Holly, I would not miss the chance to uh, talk to one of my favorite people. Thanks for having me. Oh, my, my pleasure. Okay, so let's get to it. So, Ryan, do you remember how we first met? You know, here's what I remember. Um, and this is the, this is going to be a bit of a dodge, but also like a really <laughs> heartfelt answer. Um, I remember that I've known you for the entire time that my company has existed. Mm-hmm. I can't place when it started, um, but I know. But I I feel like you. I think you and I have known each other even before Smoketown started. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you, um, because I remember it so clearly. So, and I guess this was, I like set you up, right? But <laughs> you and I met at, you and I met at the Foodcraft Institute, probably, mm. gosh, a decade ago when you were working yep. for Clorox and I had just, so I guess not a decade because I've been doing my business for six years. So probably six years ago. Um, and you and I were both presenting at a session on yeah. creating company culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You're this was right. way back and when. It, that was in the that's that is way back. And I think that's even far enough back that it's before um I I mean that's like that so that was Clorox that was before I even knew that that what I'm doing now was yeah. was in the future. But but you and I both were there for the same reason sort of um what's it emotionally or sort of like are are like philosophically we were doing the work we were there for the same reason because we both wanted to see founders and folks like the ones in that room thrive i you had already figured out like exactly how you were going to sort of like point your life purpose at that and i was still trying to figure out how to get out of the corporate machine and and do that um damn you're right that that was it 
Yeah, it was a long time ago. And, you know, thank you for thinking that I had it all figured out back then. But, you know, it's a <laughs> it's been a winding path. I will publicly admit that. So, so Ryan, you if you want to, you could tell us what you did at Clorox, but then I want to I want to talk about this transition from Clorox. You know, you moved to Chicago, you started Smoketown. Um so let's let's talk about that. Like Clorox to Smoketown and what you do in the food and beverage industry now. Yeah. So uh, when I tell my story, I always actually start with uh, the the first half of my adult life, which is when I was an activist, you know, full-time professional worked in the nonprofit space, uh, you know, professional rabble rouser. And uh, I, I, I loved it. It was, it was all purpose all the time. And I, I burned out on it though. Um, wanted to have uh, impact at, at, at greater scale. I was really intrigued by what it took to build a business and uh, and and figure out how to get, you know, how to how to get purpose and and profit and business building to line up together. So I went to business school. Uh, it, this is all of this happened in while I still lived in Oakland. Yep. And. You know, went to business school, discovered consumer packaged goods, tried to get into the natural products industry, got rejected, wound up at the Clorox company because that was the best way to to get trained in CPG. And then fast forward, I worked in that in, in that industry for quite a stretch, and uh, then just finally got got to that point, like 12, 13 years then, where I looked up and I'm I'm not having the impact on the world that I wanted to, uh, and that's that was the genesis. Of starting Smoketown, it was. To, I mean, frankly, I, I love that you started this with, with working at the food craft, like doing that work at the food craft craft institute because yep. you know, knowing knowing that team there and having like Hodo Soy. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Yep, Ming. Yeah. But yeah, like ho, ho, the the leadership team of Hodo Soy, Blue Bottle Coffee. Um, gosh, I can't remember who else was in the room, but it was it, Smoketown was started precisely because I wanted to be in service to the brand, to the, the leaders who had been in that room yeah. way back when you and I met. Yeah. And so for those, for listeners who aren't familiar with the Food Craft Institute in Oakland, that was a, I believe they were a nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. Who who were focused on helping emerging food and beverage brands who also were mission-driven with all of the different aspects that it took to to start and grow their food business from, you know, packaged products to retail spaces to restaurants. I mean, it was just, it was such a great community and they really had such power players in the room. And unfortunately they, you know, they closed down, it was a couple of years ago at this point. So it, you know, it wasn't because of COVID or anything. Um, but I think it was, mm. you know, some, some funding issues and, and they shut down a couple of years ago, but that was, uh, mm. that was such a great resource to our Bay area community back then. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. I actually didn't know that they had shut down. They, yeah. that, they were awesome. Yeah, they really were. They were really were. And I think they, you know, they were funded by, mainly by Belcampo. And I think yep. that um, there was a little bit of, you know, I think Belcampo, you know, is also a food business who didn't, you know, couldn't quite figure out Trying the funding on their side too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay. So you started Smoketown and give me the, give me the rundown on what Smoketown does now. Yeah, so so we are um, powered by empathy, which is not just empathy for the for the founder journey and and being like totally 
dialed in on how hard that is, but also empathy for the consumer. Because ultimately, any any founder in your audience who's building a consumer product, whether they recognize it or not, their success lives and dies on the degree to which they understand the consumer that they mm-hmm. serve, period. Yeah. Like you can, there's a lot of other things that may seem like they're at play and certainly all of that stuff matters. But at the end of the day, you either have something that consumers want to buy and hire to do a job for them or you don't. And so we're powered by empathy and, and, and that is the, 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 the way that we focus on driving ROI across uh, marketing sales and and purpose. So uh, what I mean by that is that that is about building marketing plans that are really that really deeply understand the consumer. Um, that is about building um, go to market strategies that make sense for the consumer that you're trying to win with. Mm-hmm. That's about uh, so so that the, the services that we have are all built around that idea of optimizing everything that you do to figure out who your most valuable consumer is going to be and then and then win with them like crazy. Yeah, I I love that you focus so much on on the target consumer and I know, you know, gosh, it was probably a year ago you came into Retail Ready and you were an industry expert for us and it it felt like every answer to my students' questions was go back to your target consumer, go back to your target consumer. What do they want? What are their problems? What do they need? And I feel like so often brands think they've done this work, but they haven't done it to the, you know, to the capacity that they truly need to craft that really effective marketing plan or that, that, um, unique, (laughs) um, you know, sales strategy or whatever it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and a lot of times that's because especially early stage brands. And when I say early stage, I'm talking about Brands that are definitely, you know, less than a million dollars in revenue, probably mm-hmm. still bootstrapped, or they've just done a, a family, you know, friends and family round. At that stage, like what what's often happening is, frankly, the the entrepreneur built something for themselves or their mom or their cousin or whoever it is. Like that's who they've designed for. That's who they are innovating for. Yep. And they think that that's going to get them all the way to the promised land. And sometimes it does, just sort of by luck. But usually what happens is when you get to that half a million dollar mark in revenue, you figure out that there is a broader universe of consumers that you need to win with that yeah. you haven't, that, that the average founder simply hasn't thought through. And, uh, and that's, that, that tends to be where we, where we can be the most helpful. Yes, I love this. Okay, so we haven't like quite gotten into what we're going to talk about today, but I think this, since I have you here, I think that this is a, an important question to ask. And it's something that we're talking about a lot in Retail Ready right now, this idea that um, we are, we want to be inclusive, right? We want to be inclusive in the food industry. And historically, when we identified our target audiences, you know, Historically, you know, a decade ago, we were really focused on demographics, right? What, how old are they? Are they male or female? What is their race? What is their income level? Where do they live? And we've really thought about how, how can we shift and create these brands that are inclusive so we don't have this target audience who's, you know, Sally with all of these <laughs> bullet points underneath her. And I think what I hear you saying, Ryan, is, is maybe the solution is, is going back towards that emotional connection and the the empathy that we have with our consumers rather than who are they, how old are they, where do they live? Right. Here's the framework that we use. Um, the fancy term for this 
is to um, is to define your consumer based on their psychographics, yep. not based on their demographics. Yeah. But the more like accessible way to talk about it is this framework that I love called jobs to be done theory. Oh and, my gosh. And in jobs theory, yeah. are you a fan? Well, it's so funny because just yesterday I was recording an episode with Kevin Ryan. Do you know Kevin Ryan? No, not by Oh my name. God. You, you would love him. I, I have to introduce you to, but he, um, he brought up the jobs to be done mindset theory on the podcast yesterday. And, you know, I went, I read the article in Harvard Business Review and I'm, I'm just yeah. hooked on this, but so I, we didn't get into it really on the podcast. So for, for my listeners okay. who don't know what it is, do you want to, do you want to share with us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, it, it here's the, the, the core idea of it. Um, every single one of us, when we buy a product or uh, pay for a service, we are hiring it to do a job for us. Mm -hmm. And we're, fr we're, we're most of the time firing something else. <laughs> At a minimum, we're firing something else on that occasion, but maybe even we're firing something else forever. And so the idea of jobs theory or at the root of it is that consumers, us people, we are never transparent about what the job description is. Mm. That like if, if we all knew what the job description was that consumers were out here hiring for, uh, all of our lives would be easier. You and I would would be doing a different career because yeah. you know you know what I mean. Like founders would need us. It would be exactly it would be straightforward. <laughs> but it's not straightforward because uh, it is incredibly difficult to figure out what that job description is, especially to figure out the job description in a way that's differentiated and different than the brand to your left and the brand to your right. Yeah. So, um, so, so that is the core idea of jobs theory. It is to say, how do you as a brand figure out uh, what job you should be hired for and then build everything about your value proposition such that you maximize the likelihood mm -hmm. that that the consumer recognizes that you're the perfect solution for the job. Yeah. And so that job might be something as simple as like, I'm looking to hire a product to quench my thirst before my workout. And it needs to be, I don't know, it needs to have 15 grams of protein. Right. right. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example from, a from one of our clients. This is okay, a, a, a case study that's on our website. So we had a client called field and farmer. Mm -hmm. uh, they are a, um, they're a, a, a plant-based dip dressings and, uh, and dip dressings and juice company based okay. out of Chicago or out of, out of Chicago land. And when, when we first started working with them, they actually had a different brand name and a slightly different value proposition. Mm. And the core of it was that uh, their promise to consumers was that um, everything, all of the produce in their products were grown locally. That's mm. what they thought was the value. They okay. thought that job, that the, the job mm -hmm. that they were doing was that consumers wanted to buy local produce. And this was a great way to get local produce in a, um, in a, uh, you know, in a grocery store, in a processed product. So that's what they thought it was. Uh, but they did a little bit of consumer research. We did more consumer research. And it turned out that actually the job is more nuanced than that. The job is that consumers trust farmers. Mm -hmm. It is super difficult to, um, 
know whether or not the produce and the products that you buy are from a farmer that yeah. you should trust. Yep. Yep. And so the job description is actually we need a a bridge of trust. Um, we need we need an intermediary who has an authentic relationship with independent small family farms, and and therefore we can trust that brand because that brand has a relationship with the farmer. Uh, so what was different about those two is it actually didn't particularly matter if the farmer was 30 miles down the road or 3,000 miles across the country. Mm-hmm. What mattered is that it was a small independent family farm mm-hmm. that um, that had been vetted and and that the resource and and their and all of the quality and sort of like community support that comes with that idea. Uh, I really like this. I, that sounds like a really fun, fun project to dig into and figure out what that, that real job is. That's cool, Ryan. Right. Thank you for sharing that example. So actually, as I, as I realized this, your podcast, this episode is going to come out before Kevin Ryan's episode. So what I'll do is I'll link that jobs to be done article, um, in our show notes here for anybody who's looking to, Perfect. to dig a little deeper in that. Okay. So let's, Let's talk about what we really wanted to talk about today, which is the idea of return on investment in marketing and where brands are succeeding, where they're challenged, and and what sort of things you see happening right now. So, so I want to start there on on the the bad side of things, the the money wasting sides uh, side of things. So, tell me, Ryan, like you've done a lot of work with companies in marketing. Where are companies wasting their money in marketing? Yeah. What, here's what I think is, um, is both fascinating and it's a pattern that's easily interrupted. What often happens is that uh, founders kind of obsess over the wrong things based on the wrong set of reasons. Mm. So um, they may, for example, will have, you know, one of the first things that every founder wants to talk to us about is, you know, what should they be doing in Instagram? Sure. You know, like how, how <laughs> yep. do I not waste my money and time on it, you know, in Instagram, yeah. you know, Ryan, help us. <laughs> and then maybe that same company, on the other hand, is going to go through a packaging redesign and the packaging redesign costs two to three times more than the Instagram investment. And the packaging redesign is, is, is uh, they're, they're spending a lot less energy obsessing yeah. over it sure so yeah. uh so so the, the the broad answer to your question is the ways that uh the, the places that companies are, are wasting the most money are um they're 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 wasting money driven by the fact that they're focusing on the wrong mm-hmm. set of things that makes sense to me because I also get that question in retail ready. Like, Allie, help me figure out how to maximize my Instagram presence and get some money off that platform. And I always ask, like, how do you know that Instagram is the place for you? And how do you know that's the thing that you should focus on right now? So how do how do they know? Like, how do how do they know where to focus? Yeah. So what we actually have a we've created a, a a tool for this that they can go to our website and download and and there'll, there'll also be a blog post out there about Great. it. Our website is smoketownstrategy.com. I, I assume you'll put this in the show notes too. Yep, absolutely. And here's what we advise companies to do: we think they should make two lists. 
um, in the first list, it should be every marketing investment that they're making. And the definition of investment needs to be broad. It's not just, you know, how much did I spend on paid, you know, media to boost, you know, my social media posts. Mm -hmm. It's also what's my marketing agency retainers on an annualized basis. Uh, what you know, have I hired a? You know, did I have a hired a marketing VP or something? Yep. Like, what did they cost? Uh, packaging design. So you make a list of the expenses, and then you um, sort that list top to bottom, not just based on the total um, size of the check, but you divide that check size into the total of. Uh, uh, size of uh, uh, into, into a into the company's total revenue. Okay. So, for example, you know, if your company's doing a million dollars in sales, and you spend, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on a marketing lead, then that's ten percent of yep. your uh, of your revenue is being spent on that particular tactic or that investment. So you force rank it by, you know, where are you putting the most money based on it as a percentage of your revenue. And then in the second list, it's the same marketing activity, the same marketing uh, in investment, but now you, you sort it in a different way. You sort it based on uh, how high is the upside if I nail this mm. and how much of a crap show is it <laughs> if I crash? You know, I, I think of that as like the, the, it's like the risk to reward yes, ratio. Yes. And we want that ratio to be, you know, uh, you know, really dialed in, right. We want it. We want to have that good ratio there. Yeah. So, so you have these two and then you, you sort that list based on the things where the spread between the two is the highest, like, man, the, mm, the yeah. upside is so high if I crush it, but oh man, if I blow it, then I'm in deep trouble. Yep. And so what, what we suggest is that, is that after having done the, made those two lists and you rank those two lists, you know, d pick a, draw a line, like let's say the things that are in the top half of it, the top five, the top three, um, look for places where the same investment is on both lists high on the list. Mm. And what that tells you is that that is an extremely high priority place to focus in terms of, um, uh, where you need to make sure that you get it right and you don't get it wrong for, and, and that's true for two reasons. One, it's a big check that you're writing yeah, and the upside or the downside associated with that check is tremendous. Yeah. So, so what we find when, when folks think about it that way is some things that are obvious do in fact make both of both of those lists. So right. for example, if it's a sizable company that's spending you know, let's call it $5,000 per month on, um, on various agency retainer fees that are all marketing related, you know, that, that adds up to a meaningful amount of money. It's like mm -hmm. 60 grand a year. Yep. And if you're a relatively small brand, that's a big percentage of your investment. So, so that makes sense. But then some other things start to make that list. For example, packaging design, it becomes obvious yeah. that, you know, that that's an investment that needs to be obsessed over because, the the risk is tr huge if you blow it and the upside is you know rx bar size if you nail it right? yeah yeah so uh, so the so that's the exercise that we that we sort of help founders do and some of the things that tend to be on that list are are the uh, marketing retainer 
fees, mm-hmm. yep. which we can talk about in a minute. Yep. I have strong feelings there. <laughs> um, it, it, it is packaging design, uh, which which we can also dig more into if we have time. But a, a surprising thing that pops up on that list is if they if, if the team has hired or plans to hire a marketing person, like a staff person, yep. you basically can't get anybody, you know, on, on, on a full-time equivalent basis for probably less than 80, 90 grand all in, yep. you know, it, it easily becomes a six-figure investment. So that's another one where, and also the beta is super high, like you hire the wrong person yeah. and you're in deep doo-doo for, for a, you know, <laughs> yeah. six to 12 months, yes, right? Yes, you are. So, yep. so, so those are the, um, uh, those are some of the things that tend to make that list when, when, when early stage brands sorted that way. Well, I think it's, it's really smart, Ryan, to, to, to focus on this idea of what is going to have the maximum reward for us too, because I see founders, you know, piddling away on their, you know, tweaking their website copy or changing their Instagram bio or like, you know, designing their um, like literally designing like the phys- the layout of their email, their email campaigns, like whether they should do like a blue border on the top or the bottom. And I'm like, at the end of the day, like that is not right. the thing that is making impact on your business. Let's, exactly. you know, uh, let's instead focus on that, that packaging designer or whatever. Um, exactly. so on that note, Ryan, let's pause for a quick moment and then I want to come back and I want, I do want to talk about packaging design because I'm, I'm interested on your take on that. So hang tight. We'll be right back. You hear it from your customers every day. I love your product. I wish this was sold near me. When are you going to be carried at my favorite local store? It is time to capture those customer interactions and put them to work for your brand. WeStock streamlines the product request process and helps get your brand on retail shelves faster by collecting data that is essential for your wholesale pitch. And you have heard me say it enough times by now to know that buyers love data. A pitch that is backed by data is always going to capture that buyer's attention faster than a pitch without it. Learn more about how you can use your fans' product request to perfect your pitch at westock.io or linked in my show notes. And don't forget to use promo code FOODBIZWIZ for 25% off your first year. Okay, we are back. And it it sounded like, Ryan, you had some um, opinions on investing in packaging that you wanted to share with our listeners. And I'm, I'm eager to hear them. So give it to me. Yeah, so uh, there's two traps that I see companies fall into, and it it is so predictable, and yet so common that it just it breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, it, it, so the the and I'm actually going to tell a quick story. Let me yeah, let me tell a quick story because I think it'll it. yeah. it'll like put this thing in relief. Uh, there's a there, there were I met a couple of founders you know, at an event, I won't say where and, and what, so the people don't feel named in this podcast, <laughs> right? Um, so I met a couple of founders, you know, I want to say it was about nine months ago. And they told me about their brand, relatively early stage brand. Uh, they told me they were looking for a team to help them go through packaging redesign. Um, I told them the ways that Smoketown could be helpful and gave them a couple of, of tips and advice. I didn't hear back from them, which is fine. Um, then I, they, they pinged me about um, six months later mm-hmm. and said, hey, Ryan, um, 
would love to talk to you again. Let me catch you up on where, where we've been and what's been going on. You know, when we met, we were doing a packaging redesign. Well, we hired an agency and didn't like the work and, and that never went anywhere. And then we hired another creative uh, freelancer and we kind of didn't like their work either. Oh. And that didn't go anywhere. And now we want to talk with you and understand because now we're really serious about it. And, you know, that team probably blew through best case scenario, 15 grand could have been as high as 30 grand, depending on how much, they, yep. how far along they got on those first two uh, uh, attempts at it. Yeah. And what it would have costed them to slow down and be really thoughtful is a fraction of that. Yeah. So here's what, here's the, and, and by the way, like that, that the phenomenon of paid for the design and didn't commercialize the design is surprisingly common. Oh, I see it all the time. All it's, the time. It's surprisingly common. And, and so here's what's going on. And this is why we, we, we try to get folks to slow down. The, I think it would not be an overstatement to say that a major brand refresh is the single most important investment that an early stage company will make yep. in like a two to three year span. Like it is such a huge deal because of the, 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 the uh, matrix that I described earlier. Yep. It is expensive and we'll get it. I'll, I'll get circle back on that in a moment, but it's, it's hard to come away from that in you know and spend less than 20 grand for quality work and it can be as high as like 50 or 60 grand mm -hmm. and then um it's extremely high reward or high risk yeah so um it, what 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 we help folks with and what we strongly advise is that this is one where it is worth the time and the effort and yes the money to slow down be clear about what your brand strategy is, be clear about why, like what's motivating the redesign, you know, what kind of agency do you need to pick? What are your, what, what's your aesthetic? What does your brand need to mean in the world? What job is it doing? All of that stuff needs to be tight as a drum so that you're more likely to hire the right agency, mm -hmm. give them the right, you know, high quality creative brief, recognize the great work that they present, and then execute it and not do what that founding team that, you know, that I started out this story with, not do what they did, which yeah. is blow through thousands of dollars and then not even execute the work. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on here. I, I know that you're breaking some hearts as you say that people have to spend $20,000 on a, on a yeah. packaging design, but I will say that, you know, the, the brands that I see who have more success in a sustainable way are the ones who have invested in branding and packaging. Period. It's it's just a fact. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's it is very rare that that someone gets gets away with not doing that. And and here's the thing. So this is the so the first problem that we see people run into is they don't give it nearly enough thought. And then, the, then they discover two thirds of the way into the process that there were fundamental things that they didn't know or, or weren't prepared for or whatever. And so that's that's the source of money wasted. And with, then the second like, big to clarify, Ryan, like when they're already working with the designer, like two thirds of the way into the design yes, process. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. 
So gotcha. that's like the, 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 the mistake there is either literally wasted money because the packaging design never sees the light of day yep. or yep. it's suboptimal packaging design that goes out the door. And so now you didn't get any of the upside or worst case scenario with the disaster and you actually lose some velocity as a result of the switch. Yeah. So that's the first pitfall. Then there's the second pitfall, which is as common and it's, how can I get packaging design done for less than ten thousand yep. dollars? Who's like, who's in? Like, yeah. <laughs> and here's like, I, I can tell you, like, out of I've you know at this point have talked to you know probably a couple hundred early stage founders, something yep. in that neighborhood, I'm guessing, yeah. and I can count on one hand the number of founders who pulled off strong design for a price tag that was that low. Yeah. And the and the and one of the instances and this is actually in in my uh, one of my podcast episodes it's this woman named Denise who um, is the founder of Partake Foods. Mm, she yeah. tells this awesome. amazing story. <laughs> and and you can hear in the podcast my jaw hit the hit the ground <laughs> like she tells this amazing story of stalking great designers on LinkedIn. Yep. Where she would like find designers who have worked for top agencies, stalk them on LinkedIn and ask them if they'd be up for a side project. Like, so she found someone who was a great designer who was willing mm-hmm. to do it for cheap because she was that scrappy. But yeah. honestly, outside of that, you know, 1% of the universe who's willing to work as hard as, as, uh, as Denise did to, to be that, to be that scrappy. Most people, when you get what you pay for, and if, yeah. and if it's less than twenty grand, I'm, I would put money on the fact that six to twelve months down the road, six to eighteen months down the road, you're going to be doing that packaging design again. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I'm definitely going to link to your episode with Denise because I, I I'm eager to listen to it myself, and I just think that you know it's important to know the scrappy tactics, of course, but um, I, I think we'll all benefit from hearing her talk about it directly. Yeah, yeah, and I God, I see this too, and I it breaks my heart to see these wonderful products, these you know mission driven businesses, these delicious products that are put in mediocre (laughs) packages and they don't succeed on the shelf because they aren't, they don't, they, they're not even like playing the same game, right? Because shoppers just aren't, aren't picking them up. And I think, gosh, I mean, we, we see this all the time, you know, where brands are like, well, I succeed in the farmer's market with my brown craft bags or, you know, I'm, it's working in my independence with this, clamshell packaging. And that's one thing. But when you want to start selling, you know, in regional accounts or in Whole Foods or gosh, say you even want to like get into to Kroger, like a whole other set of packaging requirements is required. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Gosh. Absolutely. Okay. So I think that we've, we've given a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, um, I don't want to say it's bummer information because I think it's so, <laughs> it's so valuable. And in the long run, I know that there are, I know there are brands listening who are nodding along, who said, who are saying like, yeah, that was me. I spent 2000 bucks. I hired someone on Fiverr. I got a logo and I thought it was a brand, you know, yes. And here I am two years later spending, you know, five times that and, you know, (laughs) pissed that I wasted all that money. So let's, let's switch directions here and let's end on a, 
on a positive note. Ryan, I want to talk about the tactics that are working right now in marketing. Uh, you and I are recording like as we move into the fall of 2020. What what marketing tactics are worth a second look for brands right now? Yeah, I'm going to start with a huge caveat, which is you know consistent with what I said at the outset. Tactics are an expression of strategy, and strategy is mm-hmm. should be anchored in. Job, in the job that your brand is doing and anchored in, the, in deep empathy for the consumer. So uh, what I'm like, so the, the, the things that I'm seeing out there that I'm, that I like are may or may not be the right thing for the folks in your audience. Like, yep. so, so this is not like a, a blanket endorsement of whatever I'm about to say. Uh, but here's some things that I, I think are, are worth a second look. Uh, one of them that I've been hearing great things about is Instacart's in-app advertising platform. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Tell me more about this. Yeah. So they, uh, about six months ago, as part of their kind of reinvestment in that business, like as they started to take off in COVID-19, and they obviously had had this in the works already, they invested in their, their, their advertising platform to make it a little easier for, for brands to navigate. I think they created some lower price point uh, ways to mm-hmm. enter so that so that it was not cost prohibitive. Uh, I think that they've got a DIY kind of uh, platform that makes it relatively easy to manage too. And if you combine that with uh, the explosive growth that that business has seen, yeah. with frankly, and I don't know if you're an Instagram uh, an Instacart user, but the the ads work. Like yeah. for me personally, <laughs> yes, just like putting on my like. <laughs> yep. I mean, it is money like yeah. i i so if you add all that stuff together explosively growing platform really well executed in app advertising yeah. and some affordable ways in that are pretty uh early stage company friendly i'm hearing very good things about uh, instacart i love that you bring uh, this up i yeah. i think it's so true because you know we've had a couple of recent podcast episodes where i have retail ready students asking like um, how do I drive trial right now that I can't, you know, when I can't do demos? How do I get, um, mm-hmm. how do I increase in-store sales knowing that people are buying online? I'm like, yeah, Instacart yeah. ads. Absolutely. I love, I love that you brought this yeah. up. Great. So then there's a second one, which is uh, going to sound obvious and you know, it probably is, which is email. You know, email, if you were to look at, and I've seen data uh, on this, if you were to force rank tactics by return on investment, mm-hmm. email, I mean, especially if you're a business that has a direct-to-consumer play, yep. um, email is an incredibly high ROI investment because <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's just like, it's relatively low cost to yep. execute. Yep. It goes right into someone's inbox. You know, it can link, it, 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 it's, it's proximity to, one thing about ROI that's really fascinating is that um, the shorter the distance between the tactic and the ability to try the brand, the ROI or at least the impact on sales tends to go up. Mm. So, you know, if, if you're investing in a tactic and it takes a consumer five or six steps to go from seeing that marketing tactic to buying your product, I would, I will bet money that the ROI is lousy because yeah. yep. it's just, you know, obviously that depends on how much you spent on it, but, um, the thing about email, if you have a direct-to-consumer business, 
is it's like click on this link and you're in the shopping experience and there's literally no distance and no friction between the two. So email is a huge deal. Well, and I love email too, because it is, you're literally sending, sending an invitation to buy to people who have opted in, who have expressed interest in your brand, who have said, I want to learn more, like, yes, please email me. And it's, And, and those are contacts. I, you know, I say this all the time. Those are contacts that you own, right? Like when you post on Instagram, you don't know if your post is going to show up in the algorithm. You don't know if people are going to happen to be like browsing on Instagram the day that you announce your, you know, holiday sale. But when you land in their inbox, you control the conversation. I love it. Yes. I'm, I, I love that you bring up email. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is it's almost like this is less about a specific tactic and more about a brand who I just have tremendous respect for and the quality of their decision making. Mm -hmm. And it's the Olipop team. Yeah. Uh, What those folks are doing and the level of, of explosive growth that they've seen, it is so many aspects of their blueprint should just at a minimum, they like your 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 audience needs to understand it. Yeah. And beyond that, there are probably things that they're doing that should just be cut and pasted into into the blueprints of uh, the founders in the audience, if it, if it makes sense for the consumer target, et cetera. Like some of the things that they do, and this is another. Um, uh, actually, I'll I'll go ahead and complete the sentence, which is I had it like one of my podcast episodes is with. David Lester, uh, one of the co-founders there, mm-hmm. but that's totally not why I'm saying Olipop. Like, <laughs> no, and, and you no, can tell I mean, in that conversation, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I am, I've, yeah, I've been crushed out on Olipop yeah. and watching them very closely from inception, basically. Yes. And there's there's a couple of things that they've done that were just brilliant. One of them, and really low cost. One of them is they're really they're aggressive and smart about their partnerships with yep. other brands. Yep. So they they heavily borrow the the equity and the the footprint of other brands by doing collaborations with them, and then they're they're more than happy to return the favor. So they've they've created this whole like network of brand partnerships that they have. So that's been a big part of of their excellence. And brands and outside piece, of the food industry yeah. to to clarify, right? Like so, yeah. you know, partnering with Outdoor Voices, a fitness apparel yeah. brand, or you know, um, many different partnerships that that aren't just i'm a beverage and you're a snack totally. let's get together yeah right yeah like they, like they're doing all of it so some yeah. of it is very like predictable like we're ice cream or you know you've got an ice cream and we've got a root beer yep let's exactly. make a root beer flow together mm-hmm. and then it's to your point all the way up through you know being the official sponsor of you know outdoor voices yoga yep. day on yep. you know in la or whatever yep exactly so, yeah exactly right um and then the other thing that they did is they uh, really optimized their direct to consumer shopping experience. Yeah. You know, every single piece of it. So from from the ease of shopping on the website to the ease of subscribing to the fact that they even have a subscription option. I mean, there's yep. there's brands who who should be who should have a subscription option that haven't even executed that yet. So so and that stuff is low it, it, some of it is costly from a time investment standpoint, but in terms of like the size of the check that you write, yeah. some of the things that they've done to get their website right and to get their shopping experience right, frankly, which we were not that big of a monetary investment, but boy, 
exploded. The business has yeah. absolutely exploded. And a one-time, it's a one-time investment too, right? It's like, <laughs> yep. you know, some maintenance fee, but you know, for the most part, it's, it's a one-time check. And I mean, talk about a brand that invested in their packaging. Their, their cans are just wonderful on the shelf. Yeah. And you know, there's another piece and and here, this also will feel like a shameless plug, but <laughs> one of my favorite parts of that, uh, of that brand story is they, um, they're an example of a brand that got the packaging design wrong the mm. first time mm. and they pivoted. And for them, that was probably like, he, you know, he didn't tell me how much it costed, uh, but just knowing the agency that he hired and knowing where these price tags tend to be, tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. best case scenario. Yeah. And they got some consumer data that told them that they got that wrong, pivoted within like six months or something like that to the version of the packaging design that we see out in the marketplace today. Yes. And they had the they had the humility and the gumption to say, damn, blew it on that one, yeah. boom, switched, and now it's a rocket ship. Well, I remember even Stephen... Um, Yes, yeah, Stephen Parker was saying that. Yeah, yeah. W- was saying that it was something like as as little as I think on their cola they called it cinnamon cola on the front of the packaging, right. and they realized that they're you know after they're already in production you know they're in all these doors that consumers didn't want a spicy cola right yeah. they thought the cinnamon yeah. was was a big turnoff and sure enough they had to drop that cinnamon from the very front of their packaging and it made all the yeah. difference in in the velocity for that skew so interesting yeah. yeah that's a good that is that is definitely uh one of the examples but they actually had a bigger example than that oh is it in your podcast episode it is yeah okay, i mean li- and you I'm can actually go into too. their instagram yeah. feed awesome and like people can like do this homework on on their own because if you scroll all the way to their first round of instagram posts when they first launched you'll see the original packaging ah, and yes and here's like this is, goes back to the jobs to be done theory at the end of the day what happened is they didn't fully appreciate when they first launched the degree to which they are a direct replacement for soda Mm-hmm. Like the, the yep. job that they yes. do is about being everything that soda is yep. with none of the bad things that soda contributes to yep. the health outcomes. And they missed that at first. So the difference between 1.0 packaging and 2.0 packaging is in 2.0 packaging, all of the design cues, all of the copywriting, all of the, 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 the thrust of the design is entirely about we are a soda as yeah. opposed to we are a as opposed to we're a healthy beverage. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna go do the, an internet deep dive uh, a, a back scroll on their Instagram account. But I remember this when it was really about gut health and probiotics yeah. and prebiotics and you know really about you know mm-hmm. how it was like a soda with fiber. And I was like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Yep. Um yep. I don't I don't need to drink a beverage for my for my gut. I'm not gonna do that. But um Right. Yeah. Oh gosh, this is such a great example. And again, for my listeners who who don't know what we're talking about, I will link that in our show notes. And um, Sam, I'd love to link that that podcast episode of yours too. Okay. Whew, I feel like we've covered a lot on this show today. <laughs> Fun. I know it has been great. Okay. I feel like we're we're gonna have to do a follow up episode because I've got more to talk to you about. But I'm gonna I'm gonna call it right there. So where where can people keep in touch with you, Ryan? How, how can they stay connected with you? Yeah. 
So I say there's three things that I'm most engaged in. Uh, the one of them is there's the podcast that I've referred a couple of different referred to a couple of different times. It's called Brand New Blueprint. Uh, it's available on all the in all the places. Um, the the second piece is I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my social media platform of choice, so you can just find me at Ryan uh, Pintado Vertner on on LinkedIn. And then the uh, the third piece is we have a lot of free downloadable you know yep. source uh, resources on our website. So it's it's a it's a place that I point a lot of people to. Uh, the website address again is smoketownstrategy.com. Awesome. Okay. So like I said, I will link all of those in the show notes and Ryan, so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for all of your time and your generosity today on the podcast. This was, this was a blast. Thanks for having me. Okay. My whizzes, you heard me. I could talk to Ryan all day long (laughs) and I bet you feel the same way. So if you would like to continue the conversation, you know the deal. Come and connect with me in our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group, where we talk about each episode and the ins and outs of wholesale each week. Find that Food Biz Whiz Facebook group linked directly in our show notes or at foodbizwiz.com. As always, thank you for tuning in today, and we will reconnect right back here next week. Until then, have a good one and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.